think most of us would agree that we are in what is probably the strangest political season that we've experienced and really one of the strangest political seasons in modern American history. And we have two candidates who are so disliked. It is amazing how much people don't like these two. And the thing I hear most often is, isn't there another choice, right? How do we end up with this where these are our only two choices? And when we look back in history, what we see is that people often want something different. They are looking for something that they don't have. And we could look back all the way to the first century and see the Jews in Judea and in Galilee wishing that things were different. Wishing that their leader was not the, their leader. I mean, their, their leader is the Roman emperor, someone who is oppressing them, who is basically keeping them in slavery, hoping that things will change. And they look back to, to Old Testament prophecy. And they look to these prophets who are saying there is going to be someone who will come and change everything. The Messiah. The chosen one. And they're waiting on the Messiah. They're reading through those texts and finding hints about what the Messiah will be like. And in fact, at times they think, okay, this guy that's come is the Messiah. And he comes and he sort of gets a little army together and he goes to Jerusalem. And then the Roman Empire shuts that down every time because the power of Rome is so much greater than anything that some sort of leader in Judea can gather together. And then he's killed and everyone around him is killed. And then Jesus came. And Jesus came preaching, he says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And they listen to that and they think, okay, maybe this is the guy. This guy seems different from everyone else, but yet what's strange is, even though Jesus is different, they sort of want him to be what all those people who came before him were. They want Jesus to start gathering some people around him who can march with him to Jerusalem and hopefully throw off Roman rule. But Jesus keeps not doing that. Jesus keeps teaching and gathering people to him that are not necessarily armed, not ready to join some kind of army and go and attack Rome. So, so Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And in a way, these people are right that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, we know that to be true. But Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they expected. Jesus never did pull together that army. Jesus never was crowned king in Jerusalem on a throne. What we see is what they couldn't see at the time. That Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorns. That Jesus was lifted up not on a throne, but on a cross. And his kingdom began in that moment with him on the cross. And his kingdom would look different than anything that they had ever, ever seen or what they might have expected. And so Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven. And his politics are not the politics of the world. His politics are not about the politics of Rome or Jerusalem, but something completely different. And so we've been exploring that for the past couple of weeks, and we'll continue through that for the rest of the month as we think about the politics of Jesus. But the politics of Jesus are always different than the politics of our world. The politics of the kingdom of heaven are different than the politics of any other kingdom. Now, one of the reasons we have nation states, one of the reasons we have governments is to adjudicate differences, right? To, to have a court system. So you have your day in court, you go and you have this grief against somebody else and and you go and you have that moment when a judge decides 
who's right. And in the kingdom of heaven, sometimes we wish it were a little bit that way, but that's not the way it works. We don't see Jesus saying, come in and bring your differences with other people and I'll decide it. What we have is Jesus saying, forgive. And that makes us uncomfortable. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at one more story. We keep looking at these stories of Jesus that we call parables, but this doesn't begin with a story, it begins with a question. And the question came from Peter. And Peter says to Jesus, listen Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who's done something to me? Okay, How many times should I forget that? Jesus, should it be seven? I mean, the Old Testament says only three, right? The teachers all say three is the most you should forgive. But what if somebody, man, they're doing the same thing over and over seven times, and I forget them seven times. It's as if Peter is sort of waiting for Jesus to say, man, you go above and beyond. You get it. You're understanding the kingdom. Your generosity and your forgiveness is overwhelming. And Jesus doesn't say any of that. What Jesus says is, listen, not seven times, but, and the scholars aren't sure exactly how to interpret this language, but it's either, no, 77 times, or seven times 70 times. Seven may sound like a nice, complete number. It may sound like you're doing sort of twice above and then one more what the law required, but Jesus says, no, that's not enough. My politics are not the politics of the world. And then he tells this story. If you want to know what the kingdom's like, think about this king. There was a king who was ready to settle accounts. And so he's calling in everybody who owes him money, and he calls in one servant, and, and the word there could be translated something like mid-level bureaucrat. So all you state employees, okay, this is you, all right? He calls these guys in, and, and, and we're told about one in particular. But what's strange about this one mid-level bureaucrat is he calls him in, and the king says, listen, you owe me 10,000 talents. What's he saying? Now, 10,000 talents, we go, well, $10,000, right? Something like that. It's a lot of money. You've got to take a while to pay that off. You need an installment plan, but, but it's not $10,000. A talent was a weight, and it was weighed out in gold or silver, some precious metal, but, but the talent was, a talent was the largest denomination of money they had. So you can't, I mean, this is, there's no bill that's bigger than this, all right? It, it's a talent of money that's the most money you can have. One talent, that's it. And 10,000 was basically the largest number that they had in their language. So Jesus is saying the largest denomination of money, the largest number you can come up with, that's how much this one guy owed. Now, what we see in that is nobody could owe that much money. Nobody could owe 10,000 talents. In fact, 10,000 talents was more money than was in circulation in all of Egypt, okay? This is more money than a country had. This is more money than the emperor has. Nobody has 10,000 talents, and certainly no mid-level bureaucrat can owe 10,000 talents. He couldn't work enough to owe that much money, okay? It's impossible, but, but Jesus says, this guy, this guy owes that much. He'll never pay it back. There's no asking for an installment plan because his life is not going to last that long. 
It won't happen. And so he does what really the only thing he could do. He lays down on the ground and he cries like a baby and he begs for some kind of mercy, okay? Because the king basically says, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to sell you and your family into slavery. That won't give me much in response to a 10,000 talent debt, but that's all you're worth. But as this man is sort of kicking and screaming on the floor, the king takes mercy on him. And we might think, well, you know, maybe maybe he says, I know you can't pay that much back, but here's what you're going to pay me every week, every month, every year, whatever installment plan there is, so he gets something back. The king doesn't say that. Maybe mercy for this king would be, you're going to work for me for the rest of your life. Okay? You're going to give me all of your labor forever. That would, that would still be mercy. But that's not what he says. What he says is, your debt is forgiven. Your debt's forgiven. 10,000 talents, yeah. More money than anybody in that world could imagine. Forgiven. Done. It's gone. Forget it. Oh, you can imagine what this guy's thinking. Are you kidding me? I mean, is this some kind of joke? How can you forgive that much money? But he's just rejoicing and, and he walks out of the palace and on the way out, he meets this other guy. I mean, one of his peers, another guy in his department, and, and he remembers. This guy owes him some money. Now, it's not 10,000 talents. It's like enough money to go out and buy a 1993 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme with worn-out tires, okay? I mean, that's, that's what he owes. So what does this guy say? Hey, man, I, got, I just got forgiven more money than I can imagine. Don't worry about it. No, he goes up to him and he begins to choke him, to strangle him and says, you're going to pay me back. And he says, if you can't pay me, but the guy just begs, let me, just give me some time. I'm going to go, I'll sell something and I'll bring the money back, okay? And he says, no way. No way. I want you and your family in debtor's prison until this debt is paid. Now, obviously that's not good logic because if you're in prison, you don't make any money, do you? But that was what he decided to do. Now the thing is, if you are forgiven 10,000 talents, people notice. Okay? That kind of news gets around. And it got around quickly because everyone who saw what happened in that palace courtyard with the guy who owed this little bit of money, they knew what had just happened. And so they go back to the king and says, remember the guy, 10,000, you know, all that money that you forgave? He's out there ready to kill this guy. And so the king called him back in and said, you are going to jail and you're going to be tortured until you can pay back the money. And then Jesus says this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And then we hear that. And we want to say, I understand why people didn't like the politics of Jesus. 
I understand why they liked these other guys that sort of got an army together and marched on Jerusalem and they're going to free everybody and it's all going to be awesome. Jesus says this stuff about forgiving people and forgiving them from the heart and doing really difficult things. That's the politics of Jesus. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And the lesson for me here is our forgiveness should be as generous as God's. Our forgiveness should be as generous as God's. You see, when we forgive, we reflect the very nature of God. It is in God's nature to forgive. It is in God's nature to send His Son to live among us, to show us how life should be lived, and in many ways show us how we're not doing it right. It's in God's nature to send His Son so that He can die on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins. It's in God's nature to forgive like that. And part of what Jesus is saying is, our forgiveness should look like God's. It should be just as generous as God's. And we go, God, I don't know if I can do that. Because forgiveness is really, really hard. Here's what I found. It's really easy to tell someone else, you just need to forgive that person. It's really easy to think about someone else, well, he or she, they should just forgive. I mean, just, just do it, right? But when it comes to me, when I've been hurt, I mean hurt by somebody who matters. I don't mean cut off on the interstate. I mean when someone who matters to me does something that really hurts. It is hard to forgive. Really hard. And here's Jesus saying, I'm not asking you to forgive once. I'm not asking you to forgive three times, I'm not asking for, that's seven, right? Seven times, I'm asking you to lose count. I'm asking you to lose count. When you start forgiving people, I'm asking you not to keep track. Because God doesn't keep track with you. God doesn't keep making tick marks how many times you've done this same thing over and over. He just keeps forgiving you. That's the politics of Jesus. We'd sort of rather it be like the world. Let's get our day in court. I got a problem with somebody else. Let's go have somebody solve it. Let's deal with it. And even in church, you know, I mean, amazingly enough, even church people don't always get along, right? Sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's hurt feelings. And Jesus says in the kingdom, we don't look for our day in court. What we do is we reflect the nature of God and we forgive. But it's hard. Sometimes we have to forgive and even though the person hasn't done anything wrong, it's still present in our head and we have to forgive again and again. 
Forgiveness is hard. It's hard work. And we're called to do it because it's what God does. Now, a couple things we need to keep in mind. You know, sometimes there's this, there's this line, okay? It's a hard line to draw, and I don't always know where to draw it. There are times when someone who I really love, maybe somebody I respect, maybe somebody who's fed into my life, I've fed into their life, I care about them, they do something and they come to me and say, listen, that was stupid. Okay, I shouldn't have done that. I put myself before you. I wasn't thinking about your needs. At that moment, I didn't care about your needs. I, it was wrong, all right? I did this. It was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm asking your forgiveness. And you know what I'm called to do? I'm called to forgive. I'm called to forgive. Just like Jesus says right here. I'm going to reflect God's nature in the life of that person. That's not easy. Okay, there's other times. And some people in this room are thinking right now, James, you don't understand. I've forgiven. And I've forgiven, and I've forgiven, and I've forgiven. And this person in my life, you know, what I'm forgiving is they're abusing me. Physically, emotionally, verbally, I've taken this abuse, and I'm not taking it anymore. What I'm here to say is I'm not asking you to. Okay? I mean, there comes a point where we have to say, listen, I, I'm going to forgive but I'm not going to put myself in a place where I'm going to be hurt, where I'm going to be damaged, where I'm going to be abused over and over and over and over again. I'm not asking you to do that. And I mean, if that's where you are, you need to get out of it. You need some help with that, okay? But what I am saying is this. Even in that setting where maybe you need to get out of the situation you're in so that you're not hurt again and again and again. You're still called to forgive. You say, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. There's nothing fair about it. But we're called to forgive because we need to forgive. We're called to forgive because forgiveness is what sets us free from the stuff that tears us up. When we're forgiven by God and all that sin that's wearing us down and holding us down and beating us down, it can go away. It can be forgiven. And lots of us are looking out and saying, man, I owe 10,000 talents to God because I've done so much wrong. Forgiveness works the other way, too. When we've been hurt, when we've been damaged, forgiveness sets us free from what the other person has done. We need forgiveness as much as they need forgiveness. Our forgiveness, as challenging as this is, needs to be just as generous as God's forgiveness for us. Let's pray together. God, sometimes you ask us to do really difficult things. Sometimes you ask us to do things that we're just not sure we can do. 
So God, we come to you today, and this is different for every single one of us in this room. We ask you to give us the strength and the faith and the courage to forgive like you forgive. And for some of us in the room, it's going to be really hard to do, and it's going to take some time, and we're going to need help for a while. God, we ask that you'd give us that. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, maybe you're here, and you know it's time to respond to this message of forgiveness, because you need to be forgiven. I mean, you feel it in your heart that there's stuff that you've done wrong, and it's just overpowering. And God is offering you forgiveness because of Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, James, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. And I don't. But God does. And Scripture tells us that God knew what we were going to do long before we were even born. And he sent Jesus 2,000 years before we did any of it. And when Jesus came, it was for all of us, for whatever we've done. So you may not feel like you deserve forgiveness, and none of us do, because forgiveness isn't about being fair. And yet, God is offering you forgiveness today for whatever you've done. So if you're ready to make that decision, we'd like to talk with you. Maybe you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ and and sense the forgiveness that comes only from him, repent of your sins, which is to say, yeah, I'm a sinner, and that needs to change, like all of us. And you're ready to confess him as Lord and be baptized into him, to be immersed into Christ. If you're ready to make that decision, we'd like to talk with you about that. Or maybe you've done that, and as an immersed believer, you want to be a member of our church. Wherever you are in this, if you're ready to talk through what's next, we'd like to do that with you. We can do it during this song, or maybe you want to catch me after the service, we can talk then as well. We'd love to, to think through what's next in your journey. If you made a decision this morning, let us know. Come forward as we sing this song. Let's stand together.